You're listening to a teaching series by Cross Culture Church of Christ. If you'd like any more information about our church, head to crossculture.net.au. Feel free to share this podcast with others, but please don't alter the content in any way. We hope you enjoy it. We've been looking at the idea of living in God's family uh, as we listen to what God says through this great little letter in the New Testament written by the Apostle John, his first letter. So far in the first two chapters, uh, we've seen that it's a new family. uh, It's an honest family. It's an obedient family, authentic family, a unique family and a persevering family. So today we're looking at chapter three where we think about the idea that it's a transformed family. Uh, I don't know how you've felt in this new lockdown, COVID time, uh, but I think it's been more difficult for us. And of course, there are lots of really, really hard things happening. Uh, The hundreds of thousands of people around the world who have lost their lives. Uh, So that means millions of people who have lost loved ones. Uh, The chaos that's happening in our aged care homes. Uh, These things, of course, drive us to prayer for those who are impacted by them. And we must continue uh, to pray and support them. But there have been some positive things. And one of the things that struck me uh, is how much people have changed. Uh, who would have thought six months ago that you could get Aussies to wear face masks? And yet now we're all wearing them. And I don't think it's just because we have to. I think it's actually, uh, for most Victorians, it's out of a concern for our fellow citizens uh, that we want to do what we can to make sure that we don't pass this infection on. The fact that we get fined 200 bucks if we don't do it uh, also, I think, helps. Uh, But as somebody who actually spends my life telling people about the greatest change that's possible through the work of God in your life, this gives me great heart, and I hope it does you as well, uh, that we can and do change. Now, changes like wearing a mask, they're external, they're imposed, and the research tells us that if we have to do this for a long time, Uh, it's going to get very, very difficult. And if the Americans are are any indication, it's probably not going to happen long term. Uh, So that's external and imposed change. But internal uh, transformational change that God brings is a very different thing. And what John is saying in this part of his letter uh, is that when God does that, it changes everything. Absolutely. For now uh, and forever. So that's uh, John's starting point in this passage uh, as he begins. He tells us how much uh, God loves us. We're going to look at two things this morning, two basic points. Firstly, the basis of our transformation. And secondly, the process uh, of our transformation to be a transformed family together. So firstly, the basis of our transformation, God's loving adoption of us. The father here, John tells us, tells us that he loves us uh, equally. He loves us infinitely. He tells us how much he loves us, what kind of love he has for us. And that's great, isn't it? God's written letters to us about it. We're reading them here. Uh, I was brought up in a family where uh, we didn't talk much about uh, the fact that we loved one another. Mum and dad never really said to us, we love you. Uh, I think there was a good motivation to that. They were they hated hypocrisy, and I think they were afraid of saying something and then not, not doing it 
uh, adequately. Uh, they certainly demonstrated it uh, and clearly for their love for each one of us as kids, and there were six of us. Uh, but it would have actually been nice to hear them say it. Well, God does both, doesn't he? He demonstrates that he loves us and he tells us he loves us too. That's what he's doing here. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. God's love in adopting us into his family is a truly great and wonderful gift. What kind of love John talks about here? Well, it's infinite love. It's unconditional. It's undeserved. Uh, it's unending. Truly amazing. Uh, that people who have left God out of their lives or even shut him out of their lives uh, can be his children and be in his family. Now, John goes on to say the reason why the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. People who aren't in a relationship with God don't understand this. And John points that out. He says they don't know us. And he says the reason for that uh, is they don't know God. Uh, that's why people call us names like, you know, you're a God botherer or... Or they say, oh, you're arrogant uh, because we claim that we have this relationship with God. Uh, most people believe in God. That's what the statistics tell us. But I think most people don't believe or they don't know, they don't believe it's possible uh, to have a personal relationship with this God. And therefore they don't understand. And, uh, but the people that John is writing to He's saying to them that all believers are God's children now, he says. Beloved, we are God's children now. It's a present reality. So we have a new family, a new identity, a new dad, a whole new bunch of siblings. Uh, and also we find out later in this passage, a new DNA, a spiritual one. This idea of being adopted into God's family, um, Jim Packer, who died the week before last, said this, he said, adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, uh, that's the British name for dinner, and given the new family name. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. Now John, who arguably was Jesus' closest earthly friend, uh, says what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. He's telling us here what's important about the future. Uh, we want to know all sorts of things about heaven, don't we, in the future state. Will we see our friends there or our dog or our budgie or whatever it is? Will we have our favourite chocolate, ice cream or coffee? Uh, will we be old or young in heaven? What sort of songs will we sing around the throne? You know, what will it be? hymns or, or modern songs or rap songs or, God forbid, heavy metal or something like that. God thinks that it's good that we don't know these things, actually. Otherwise, he would have told us. But the important thing he wants us to know is put here, that we will be like Jesus. Notice the sequence here in verse 2. So Jesus appears, we see him, and we become like him. Isn't that great? The next big item on God's program is that Jesus will appear, we'll see him, and we'll be like him. Won't that be incredible? All our struggles uh, to obey God like Jesus did, to love others as he did, to overcome our selfishness and sacrifice ourselves for others like he did, uh, to show people the way to God, uh, all that will be over. 
we will be like him. That's what God's people are moving towards. And that is what God is moving us towards, being like Jesus. Now, it's important to remember this our whole lives and keep coming back to it. Our identity is that we are children of God. We've been adopted into God's family. And that is totally bound up uh, with being like Jesus. Uh, that's the focus and that is our destiny. Uh, that's the basis uh, of our transformation, that God has brought us into his family and destined us to be like his son. Secondly, in verses 3 to 10, about this process of transformation, living out our new DNA. In verse 3, John says, Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So we have this great hope that we're going to see Jesus and we're going to be like him. And of course, the consequence of looking forward to that wonderful hope and destiny uh, is that we purify ourselves as he is pure. It's a statement that John makes here. He doesn't say you ought to be like this. He's, he's just stating it. Everyone who's been born into God's family does this. It's not a question. It's not a statement of what you ought to do. It's a statement of fact that people who are, have God's DNA in them uh, live this way. Everyone who's experienced this life-changing transformation will move in the direction that God is taking us. So God's going to make us completely pure and holy as he is. So those who've been adopted into his family uh, want to take up the family likeness, uh, be a chip off the old bloke, as we say, purify ourselves. Now, we do this not just because it's our destiny, uh, but because this is the best way to live in this life. Uh, for us and for the people around us, and certainly the best way uh, to prepare for eternity. Now, I think if we don't think that this is a good idea uh, to be like Jesus, to purify ourselves, then we actually need to ask ourselves the question, uh, have we really understood what Jesus has done for us? Are we really uh, in God's family? So John is trying to help these people to recognise uh, who are born of God and who aren't. That's the context from chapter 2. Uh, in the church and the people that he's writing to, in their church, there were people who were pretending that they were followers of Jesus, but actually weren't. He actually calls them uh, antichrist. They say they're on Jesus' side, but they're not. They're really playing for the opposition. And he wants us to be clear about how to know the difference between pretend Christians and real Christians. And of course, what he says here uh, expands on the clear teaching of Jesus, where Jesus in Matthew 7, 20, says, you will recognise them by their fruits. So John puts things very starkly here. Uh, there are two ways to live. On the one hand, practising lawlessness in verse 4, and in verse 7, practising righteousness. Uh, the children of God practice righteousness and the children of the devil practice lawlessness. Uh, so if we are to live out our DNA, our identity as God's children, uh, we need to do the things that he mentions here. And there are three of them that I want to talk about that emerge from this passage. The first thing is to get real about sin. John in verse 4 says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. The nature of sin is to operate as if 
there is no morality. As if God hasn't spoken and said things like, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength, and you shall love your neighbour as yourself. The pretend Christians who were trying to derail uh, the believers in John's time were saying that it didn't matter uh, what you did really as long as you had knowledge and they separated body and spirit so do what you like was their advice. Uh, John calls this what it is lawlessness living without constraint or restraint. Secondly he says in verse 8 that sin is the devil's work. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. To sin is to align ourselves uh, with Satan. John says that it's pretty clear what Satan stands for. Sin, he's been doing it from the beginning. Rebellion against God. Uh, when he first derailed the human race, uh, he, and he started that by putting a question to Adam and Eve. Has God said? Uh, planting doubt in their minds about the goodness and uprightness of God's wise and loving guidance. And he questions God's motives. So this is strong language here. Whoever does sin uh, is of the devil. It's very serious. And God wants us to take it seriously. He did when he went to all the trouble of coming into our world, uh, resisting every temptation, every onslaught of the devil, uh, and suffering rejection from his own people and then dying on the cross to destroy that grip of Satan. So what John is saying here, why get yourself back in the grip of Satan? Call sin what it is. That's what he's putting before us here. So we need to be clear about the nature of sin, that it's evil, uh, that it's anti-God. So we'll get our thinking right about it. Uh, I know that's sometimes where I fall at the first hurdle. I believe the lies of the devil that... It's not a big deal, you know, no one's perfect and, you know, everyone does it from time to time. Uh, give this a go if you like. Next time you get a uh, ticket from uh, Fines Victoria, uh, try telling them that. Everyone, it's not a big deal, you know, everyone does it. No one's perfect. Uh, they're not going to take it any more than God will. And God wants us to have a zero tolerance policy on sin and he does that lovingly with us because he has given us his Holy Spirit uh, we believers by the power of the Holy Spirit can overcome sin so that's the first thing get real about sin secondly trust the work of Jesus John tells us that Jesus appeared to do two things firstly he came to take away sins in verse 5. He appeared to take away sins and in him there's no sin. Secondly, he came to destroy the works of the devil in verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And what John is saying here is when it comes to sin and doing Satan's work, Jesus came to deal with that and, and fix it, to take away our sin, to destroy the works of the devil. And he said, so Christians have no right trying to stack up more sins or trying to rebuild the works of the devil and getting ourselves involved in it. It makes no sense. It's destructive of us. It's destructive of the people around us. 
it's, it's destructive of our future and it's destructive for those who are watching. Uh, how destructive has the abuse of children in the church been for us, for the gospel uh, and for God's kingdom? Uh, one of my former neighbours uh, showed interest in the things of God and we're having lots of good conversations. And uh, so one day as we were chatting, I, I said to him, hey, if you want to uh, know more about this stuff that I've been talking with you about, would you like to do a short course in Christianity? And uh, he said, oh, I don't think I'm ready for that. But the way he said it, actually, I knew there was something behind it. So I explored it with him. And it turned out that uh, as a student at school, uh, one of the priests in the school, uh, at the time he said, I thought he was really cool. You know, he used to take students around to his place and give them alcohol and cigarettes. And he thought, how cool is that? You know, a priest is, you know, a bit free and easy. Uh, then he discovered after he left school uh, that this guy had been abusing some of his friends at school. Thankfully, he was spared from it. Uh, but I tell you what, it inoculated him against wanting to have anything to do with anyone in the church. And actually, it was a massive hurdle uh, for him to actually talk to me. But it almost totally destroyed his trust in anyone who had anything to do with the church. Friends, for us to get on top of this and to live a pure life and to practice righteousness is very, very important for those who are watching. Um, by the way, this is why we uh, have safe church training for our volunteers and we keep ourselves accountable at Cross Culture for our thoughts and words and actions. And that's a very good thing. So this is really important for our witness. Uh, McCrindle, Australian research group, a couple of years ago, they surveyed a range of non-Christians and one of the questions they asked them was what would be something that would trigger you to take an interest in following Jesus? You know what the top thing was? Seeing someone authentically and genuinely live out the Christian life. So it is really, really important for our witness. So Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. His work, work on the cross, as well, in, well as being a sacrifice for sins, was also a victory over Satan. Now, what does it mean that he destroyed the works of the devil? Because we're told elsewhere in the Bible that the devil prowls round like a roaring lion. What does it mean that Jesus destroyed the works of the devil? Uh, how come Satan is still very much active? Well, it means that Jesus, through his death on the cross, uh, rendered the devil powerless uh, for unbelievers, for those who trust in him. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at chapter 4 and uh, where John says this to, the, to his readers, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. He's talking about uh, Antichrist spirits there. And then he says, For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Uh, so people who are born of God have, have Christ living in them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he is greater than Satan. He has defeated them. And therefore, we live in that victory. We share in it. And that victory will be final and total uh, when Jesus comes and Satan is finally terminated, as we see in the book of Revelation, and destroyed forever. So we need to be clear that sin is lawlessness and that it's satanic. We need to trust in the work of Jesus in taking away our sins and destroying the works of the devil. The third thing we need to do is to practice righteousness. And that's John's 
whole point in this. There's no point in being real about sin and trusting in the works of Jesus if that doesn't change how we live now. And he's saying that we must practice righteousness. A person born of God does that. That's how you know the difference between the children of God and the children of the devil uh, in verse 9. So note here that there are only two kinds of people. There's no third option. You're either one or the other. So he says, whoever practices righteousness is righteous. Just do it. If we're born of God, the conscious direction of our life will be to avoid sin and to practice righteousness. Literally, it's do righteousness. But what is righteousness? Well, John answers that question in verse 7, doesn't he? He says, he is righteous. Jesus is righteous. So practicing righteousness is being like Jesus. The Bible hammers this point over and over again. Uh, Romans 8, 29, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Ephesians 4, 16, grow up in every way into Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.18 And we all beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. Now Paul tells his readers, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So practicing righteousness means living like Jesus. Verse 9 again, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Our new identity is that we are children of God. Our sins have been taken away. Uh, we share in Jesus' victory over the devil. And we're destined to be made like Jesus, to become like him. So live it out. That's what God's saying here. Be done with doing the wrong thing, dancing with the devil, and throw all our energies into living Jesus' way. Now why? He says, because God's seed abides in you. That's how we can live this way. Literally, that word seed means sperm. Uh, so we have a new spiritual DNA. The people who are born into God's family, the children of God, have a spiritual DNA that we live out. Richard Dawkins, uh, in his book, The Selfish Gene, uh, explains away wrong human behaviour by saying that we, are, we dance to our DNA. And certainly, I think that's true of unredeemed humanity, Really, it's, it's to do with uh, the fact that we've rebelled against God and we've, we've jumped away from him. But Christians dance to God's DNA, the internal cleansing, renewing work of God's spirit. And that fundamentally changes us from being self-centered people to being God-centered people, Christ-honoring people. Now, does this verse, verse 9, mean that if you sin, that you're not a believer? Uh, in other words... Is John teaching sinless perfectionism here? Well, it can't mean that because in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he says that if you say that you haven't sinned, uh, you're a liar and you're not telling the truth. Um, further, he tells us to confess our sins uh, and to receive God's cleansing. Uh, what he's saying here is that when we do sin, we're going against our DNA. It's incompatible with our status as God's children and the alarm ought to go off. Uh, if it doesn't go off, there's something drastically wrong. Now, I want to say here, what if you're in the grip of some sin and you're really struggling uh, to get on top of it? Firstly, I want to say that's, that's actually a promising sign if you're struggling with it. It shows that your DNA as a child of God 
is working. It's telling you that there's something wrong that needs fixing. So don't despair. Secondly, I want to say to you, go back to the cross. Jesus came to take away our sin and the shame and the guilt that always comes with it. And the Bible tells us that when God does that, he removes it from us as far as the east is from the west in Psalm 130 verse 12. And remind yourself that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and that as you stand in him uh, and in his victory, the devil has no power to overcome you. Uh, that's why James says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. There's a story of a little boy who got lost in his hometown uh, in England. As you probably know, most towns in England are built on the crossroads of transport routes. That's how they grew up. And uh, so a lot of towns have a place called the cross. And the policeman finds this little boy wandering around in the fog. And uh, he says to the policeman, where do you live? I'll take you home. And the boy didn't know his address. And then he had an idea. He said to the policeman, take me to the cross. I can find my way home from there. And friends, this is true for believers, isn't it? Take us to the cross. We can find our way home from there. The cross tells us that we are infinitely loved by Jesus. It's by him that we have become children of God. We've, we are his children because Jesus paid the price for our sins. Uh, we see there too that he destroyed the devil and his works. That's our identity. We're not defeated enemies. We're beloved children. And our holy and loving and powerful Heavenly Father is on our side. And he wants us to be like his son even more than we do. So we go back to him and ask for his help to overcome that sin. So the summary uh, in verse 10 says this, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Friends, as we go out into this week, let's take one thing in which we need to be more like Jesus. Let's do a bit of self-assessment. Some area in which we need to purify ourselves, practice righteousness. It may be uh, some way in which you're using your body or your mind or your tongue uh, that you know doesn't honour Jesus. It may be the last part of this verse that there's a brother or sister that you're not loving. Uh, some relationship where we know that we're not loving sacrificially like Jesus is. It may be uh, that we need to make a sacrifice so that someone might hear the good news uh, as Jesus did. Friends, let's um, pick one thing to work on this week in practicing righteousness. And let's dance to our born again DNA, uh, to the glory of God. And friends, he's working by his mighty power uh, to make that happen. So let's pause and ask for his help. Let's take some time to do that personally. Uh, and maybe you want to tell God, this is the one thing I'm going to work on this week uh, to be more like Jesus. And then I'll lead us in prayer. Our gracious, loving Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you came into this world to take away sins. 
uh, thank you for doing that for us. And we thank you too that you appeared to destroy the works of the devil. That's why you came into this world. Thank you so much for that, Lord, that we need not fear the power of the devil as we stand in you and share in your victory. Lord, help us as we go out into this week to live in the light of those things. Help us to take sin seriously. And Lord, help us to practice righteousness. Help us to show and live out our DNA. And Lord, we look forward to that day uh, when you appear, when we see you, and when we will become like you. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.